Vacations are always good. Sometimes they're even great. And Celebrity Cruises is about to ruin all of that. Because once you explore with us, you'll never want a vacation any other way. And with new Quick Caribbean Escapes, you'll never want a weekend any other way either. Celebrity Cruises. Nothing comes close. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Ships Registry, Malta and Ecuador. Home edition. Hey, everybody. Drop the home edition. This is our new reality. This is just what it is now. This is how Keep It will be until the end of the world. Okay, but it is still the home edition because it is different from our previous Keep It's. Okay, well, let's at least add extreme to it and add Ty Pennington on the show. Like, let's do something. Extreme home edition. (laughs) The only thing extreme, though, is the level of non-haircuts, which I know America is coping with this nationally, but I'm going to be entering a Jackson Brown River Phoenix place soon. And guys, you do not (laughs) want to see it. Honey, this hair is thin. (laughs) Speaking of, I found my very first gray hair yesterday. And... I blame it on the quarantine, and at this rate, by next week, I'm going to look like Cicely Tyson. So don't say anything if I show up with the full gray head of hair. No, one day you're going to turn on the mic, and I'm also getting way more gray hairs, and you will see that I am Emmy Lou Harris. Like, it's just going to be fully petting a cat, lamenting the past, etc. I'm grateful that I've always shaved my head, so I'm doing fine. But the beard, the beard's got the salt and pepper. I saw that in the selfie, and it's looking good. It's looking distinguished. Oh, I've always had salt and pepper in the beard. Like a streak, you know, a rogue uh-huh. streak. Like a what not to wear, yeah. Stacy sort of situation. Yeah. Got you, got you. Well, then it's only appropriate that we have the Silver Fox himself, Tim Gunn, with us today. Yes, Mr. Tim Gunn himself will be joining us today. Now, did you know this about Tim Gunn, by the way? 13 years ago, when I was an intern for The Advocate, then the term Silver Fox was brand new. And I wrote a thing about how he was a Silver Fox and basically kind of hit on him in this article. And so I have this weird journalistic past of standing him in a creepy way. And now we are reunited again, and I sort of feel bad. I cannot wait for this. You know I love tension. (laughs) All right, Lewis. Look at you falling into the journalist trope of wanting to sleep with their subject. Oh, yeah. Oh, I saw Thank You for Smoking. It's me, Katie Holmes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yes, we will be joined by Tim Gunn today. And we're also going to get into some news. Surprisingly, there's news in the middle of this pandemic that has nothing to do with coronavirus. Thanks. We did it. Yeah, we did it. Uh, The Weeknd and Usher are feuding over who's better, I guess. So we're going to get to the bottom of that as well. And we're going to talk about the new meme that's been going around the internet of picking your favorite albums with no skips on them. Which was a difficult task, actually. Yes. Gun to my head, I can do it. But otherwise, whoa. Because, by the way, a lot of my favorite albums have skips on them, which is fine. We accept them as they are, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, We will get into that a bit later, but we'll be right back. The 
days and weeks all feel the same now, but somehow new culture is still appearing and old culture is reappearing in new forms. So, Louis and Aida, what have we been reading, listening to, and watching this week? You said a lot there, and I'm thinking of it visually. Anyway, uh, as always, I'm watching extremely old movies because... I just feel like, first of all, if you're gay, you should constantly be time traveling. Like, please find out things about the 40s, the 70s, whatever. I just, it feels racism. There's a, there's a kitsch factor to it that I feel. Jim is, Crow. Yeah, that, oh, I love that. Yeah. How am I doing? <laughs> we'll meet in the middle on Gone with the Wind. Uh, what have I been watching? Okay, I watched a movie that I really liked called The Happy Ending from 1969, which has this actress named Gene Simmons in it. She was nominated for a. Uh, a Best Actress Oscar. This is J-E-A-N Simmons, not Gene Simmons like from Kiss. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how Emily Blunt has that quality where depending on the angle you're looking at her, she can look like seven different other people. Like sometimes it's Marion Cotillard. Sometimes it's Katy Perry, et cetera, et cetera. This actress looks a lot like Vivian Lee and Audrey Hepburn. And in this movie, she plays a very upset housewife. And Nothing about this script screams this should be an important performance, but guys, she slays. So I think it's free on Amazon right now, so on Amazon Prime. So the happy ending, I really recommend that. And I am also ingesting, I was thinking of bringing this up in the album segment, Dua Lipa's album still. Mm. I have to say, as much as gays in particular are obsessed with calling this album of the year, it is kind of fading for me a little bit. Like it's a good pop album and not the grand miracle opus I want it to be. Do you think that that might have anything to do with the fact that we are trapped in our homes and <laughs> our standards. a usual pop album you would hear out somewhere, you would hear it in commercials, there'd be more promo for this album so it wouldn't feel just like you have to constantly listen to it alone in your home. True. I've never gotten to enjoy it with other people. So in a way, maybe that part of the analysis of the album has not even yet begun. Mm -hmm. I've been also delving into albums that I wouldn't listen to, like Future Nostalgia, the album that you're talking about. And I listened to Selena Gomez's new album because she hasn't released one in a while. And I'm embarrassingly a huge fan. There are tracks on there that I can't stop playing over and over again. Listen, Selena Gomez has done what she has to do since she was... A wizard. <laughs> no, before that, Ira, when she was on Barney, when she was a young, young extra with Demi Lovato on Barney, she has been putting in the work. That album, I gave Justin Bieber's album a chance. Horrible. Every song is a skip, just so you guys know. Every single one. So I can do that work for you. But I'm actually weirdly a Bieber fan um, when it comes to his music, at least. Mm. I really just sort of love his chill um, vibe of his songs, but this album is really a snooze. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a huge Justin Bieber fan, especially his first albums. Like, I went back and listened to his 13-year-old albums, My World, My World 2.0. I can't listen to that. No. His voice. Well, he's, his he's vo- too before young. Before puberty hit, he sounds, he sounds horrible. Can you listen to young Michael Jackson and Jackson 5 music? Yes, I can listen to young Jackson 5, but even then, he's just like, it's a little bit too whiny for me like yeah. just listening about children sing i don't like it i just wish black people were writing songs for justin bieber still that's the only way i'm going to continue to like his music and i'm watching ozark which has been kind of difficult to get through because the color correction is just painful i don't know if you guys are fans of the show it's like the literally darkest show on television yeah i think it's a little heavy-handed though but um it's nice to see jason bateman and his like little league dad body i'm Love him. <laughs> I've been meaning to watch Ozark maybe during this quarantine only because 
the new season dropped and everyone keeps talking about it. But then I remember that everyone is always talking about Ozark every time the new season drops, mm. so I can really just ignore it. Also, there's that meme going around of how Julia Garner, who recently won an Emmy for Ozark, looks exactly like Bye 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 era Justin Timberlake. Oh. And for that reason alone, I am intrigued. And I want to learn this actress because I don't know her from much else just yet. And if, oh, but it, I mean, what's sad for me is it's what Laura Linney is up to right now. And what am Laura I doing Linney. not taking it in? So I you feel ha- bad. Especially this season, Laura Linney really, really brings the fire. And Julia Gart, she's an amazing actress. And she does with the frosted tips. She was in Perks of Being a Wallflower, which is where I first saw her. Mm. That movie is really, really good. And now it hurts to reflect on it based on what we think we know about Ezra Miller at the moment. Child. I'm just not really like set on fire by Laura Linney at all. And in fact, when people often want to shade someone like a Naomi Watts, I feel like I enjoy Naomi Watts more than I enjoy Laura Liddy. Now, let me just say something. It's possible to be really good without being exciting. There are Michelle Williamses in the world. <laughs> but um, I feel like Laura Linney is specifically designed for a 95-minute independent movie. If you watch You Can Count On Me, I do think she is, n- not to be super boring, but like very human. <laughs> like you really zap into her as a, a person. But you're right. Naomi Watts, I think, has a more outsized quality, generally speaking, on screen. And also, Naomi Watts, still uh, among all these actresses, the only one who can say she has been in potentially one of the best movies of all time, and that is Mulholland Drive. Yeah. I love Laura Linney. I really do love Laura Linney. And when she, I saw her in The Squid and the Whale after Lewis mentioned it a couple weeks ago. I went ahead and watched it, and I was like, she's just really good at playing this. I'm not a culpable mother. I'm a good person while she's doing awful things. And she does that in Ozark really well, too. And she's a badass in this third season. Like, she moves her body, which I've never seen her do in a movie. Ooh. Okay. I mean, I I saw The Little Foxes, too, and was just so, I don't know. She's just not for me, y'all. I'm sorry. I think I have to put together a Laura Linney program for you, and it's not going to include The Big C, because I don't believe anybody has ever seen that TV show. I've seen The Big C, and no, I didn't No, you haven't, because it. it doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I've seen You Can Count On Me, Kenneth Lonergan, and his long movies. <laughs> Manchester by the Shade, my God. <laughs> when that fire hit in Manchester, I was like, okay, I'm ready. Take me now. <laughs> you wanted to be, that's when you wanted it to be immersive. Yeah. <laughs> so Ozark is probably not for me, but I have been digging into the new CBS series, Evil. Oh yeah, what is that? Yeah, explain. So this is a series by Robert and Michelle King, uh, the married TV producing duo who created The Good Wife and they created The Good Fight and the very short-lived series Brain Dead. That was a series about aliens taking over the planet and it was also a show about politics and I think that Evil is another really fun series that blends sci-fi with what they're really interested in which is Politics, racial justice, feminism, etc. They're really about using television to talk about issues that are important right now. Like the good fight, for instance, is constantly dealing with the Trump administration in a forward way, not in a oh, you know, we're we're like sort of under Trump and like subtly referencing it. Like they actually take on 
the Trump administration in The Good Fight. And there's even a perfect season where uh, Margot Martindale was like working for the DNC and they were trying to procure the tape that could destroy Trump. Ooh, that sounds exciting. They actually really deal with the current climate in a surreal manner. And so I was excited to get into Evil, which on its face is about um, this woman, Dr. Christian Bouchard, who is a forensic psychologist, and she is working with this man, David Acosta, who is a priest in training, and they investigate miracles and demonic possession, etc. for the Catholic Church. Oh, cute. All right, I can get into that. Here's my question about um, the kings who created the good wife. Where is Archie Punjabi? Did Julianne Margulies <laughs> put her in a package and ship her to Abu Dhabi like Garfield? That's what I want to know. I miss her. I enjoyed her. She was on that show, The Fall, too, with Gillian Anderson. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to know that Archie Punjabi is okay. Blink, Archie Punjabi, if you can see me. <laughs> also, Ira, I will. That, that, looks, that sounds good. I'll watch it. Also, Hans Zimmer, Twitter, won't stop tweeting about how amazing the score is so <laughs> not Han Zimmer must Twitter. be worth <laughs> I know bro I gotta get out Han Zitter <laughs> obviously you know it's a show that is about all of those things but there's some really interesting episodes about immigration and you know just about um, the care that black people receive in hospitals as opposed to white people they're always sort of writing something that is a metaphor for something else and one it has Luke Cage as one of the leads, Mike Holter. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it has Michael Emerson once again playing an evil person on TV, which he's been doing since Lost. Wow. Yeah. Ben Linus on Lost. Who else did he play that was evil? He was evil in person of interest. Right, right, right. Mm. By the way, you mentioned Margot Martindale. This week, we also get the beginning of Mrs. America, which Margot Martindale is in playing Bella Abzug, but it's mostly about Kate Blanchett as Phyllis Schlafly, who is... Just one of the most frightening Joan Crawford-haired women of all time. <laughs> and the kind of person who, um, like when the movie Juno came out, would write a uh, write an article about how it glamorized pregnancy. You know, one of those pundits, in addition yeah. to just being an anti-ERA 70s woman. I cannot wait for this. I know Kate Blanchett is going to slay, and I'm going to be yelling mom at the screen when she does it. <laughs> mm. I, that's another movie I watched this week was Juno because I went down my Jason Bateman hole and I watched oh. Teen Wolf 2 and I watched <laughs> Juno and I don't know how this man has had a career for so long. Teen Wolf, Teen Wolf 2 is iconic. Okay. <laughs> okay was the correct response to that. Very good. <laughs> that's cute. <laughs> Speaking of actresses that Lewis would know, there is a Oscar nominee who plays the mother in Evil. Um, Christine Lottie. Oof, I love Christine Lottie, and I saw her in Swing Shift a few weeks ago with that Goldie Hawn movie. Yeah, Jonathan Demme's uh, war film with Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I really enjoy Swing Shift. I love Demi though. And uh, old movies. What old movies have I been watching? You know, last night I had a Mankiewicz moment. Uh-huh, which one? Three of them, actually. I rewatched A Letter to Three Wives. Which we love, yes. And I, we've already talked about that on the show. I rewatched All About Eve. Another famous one. Yes, very good. And then I saw for the first time The Barefoot Contessa. Oh, with uh, Edmund <laughs> O'Brien. Yeah. With Ava Gardner playing a Spanish woman. That happened all the time then. <laughs> truly did. That, that's, that's the fun part of revisiting old movies. What are you watching from this decade? <laughs> well, I already mentioned evil, Aida, but... Uh, 
Last I swear to God, I feel like there's an unspoken rule in the maybe the gay male community where only one of you can get into heaven and it's about how many movies you've all seen. And so that is what's going on where I'm like, half the time I'm like, I know what you guys are talking about and then what? Well, it looks like I'm getting into heaven and Ira isn't, which I think the viewers already had deduced. So, Well, I think there's a slew of movies that I have seen that, that Lewis has never seen and probably doesn't need to see. But, you know, I think just... Viewing Soul Plane alone will get me into heaven. Okay, well, I mean, that's a tough pitch, but I'll allow it. <laughs> uh, I last night tried to watch the new SNL, and oh, tried. really, that went better for me than it went for you. Tried yeah. is the tried is the operative word there. Yeah, w- I was not you, for I... me. Let's let's no. let's just put that out there. One, please don't open your episode with. Pete Davidson rapping. As an open, that was a little bit tough. He is not the new Andy Samberg. He's not. And he just, every time that Pete Davidson does a sketch, it's like, I'm going to remind you guys, I'm 25. Like, I'm the young one who's uh, paying attention to the billboard. Like, it's so frustrating and it's not good. And I don't think Pete Davidson's talented enough to be on the show, nor do I want to see him. He doesn't entertain me. I don't care. (laughs) Captain Hook over here. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) not at all. I have no patience for that man at all. Uh, well, tell me what you enjoyed about it, Lewis, because I sort of found the Zoom stuff interesting in the beginning, and then after a while, I was just sort of like, all right, this is content filmed at home, and I'm seeing much better content filmed at home on TikTok. Wow. <laughs> I mean, don't give Lauren that note. It could crush him. Uh I think what's interesting is I've not consumed much entertainment that is actually in the pandemic, right? Like I'm watching all these old movies. I'm seeing life as it normally plays out. But watching SNL, seeing, for instance, the way they did the opening credits, which I thought was really cute, how they reshot it all from home. I like those to see which people live in Los Angeles. Yes. Right. No, it's interesting. Um, But I also found that grounding. It made me feel like, oh, yeah, even people who your brain just thinks sometimes, oh, it's me living in this moment stuck in my house. But no, it really is everybody. Like, I'm not saying that's not elementary knowledge, but it's nice to be reminded of it. Um, I enjoyed the Tom Hanks monologue. I actually thought Kate McKinnon doing her Ruth Bader Ginsburg thing was funnier than it usually is. Not that it's unfunny, but I kind of thought I had outgrown it, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, So altogether, I thought it was a quaint episode. Never hilarious, but Mm -hmm. I I will accept quaint in this atmosphere. I think you have a bit more of a... um emotional connection with SNL too than Aida and I ever will. I grew up with the show in a sense, but it's never really meant that much to me in terms of comedy and what it represents, you know, mostly because we've never really been represented on the show. Right. That's a fair take. I will say though that I think structurally or, you know, just based on the programming, I didn't care as much about SNL. But each of the comedians as individual people I really, really root for, other than Pete Davidson. And <laughs> you know I wanted to see more so, Bowen. More Bowen always. Always more Bowen. And I Chloe did an amazing job. Mm-hmm. It was nice to see Michael Shea after, you know, posting about his grandmother passing to coronavirus get back on the horse and do his 
his mad Michael Shea routine, which it was cute. The, my Here's my problem with the sketches. Usually on SNL, if I'm not enjoying what one person is doing, I can look at another person. So the solo sketches where, like, Kate McKinnon is trying to be a YouTube star and I can only look at her and she's not, like, mm-hmm. hitting the mark every time because this is not something she does. Uh, very difficult to get through. And the Zoom sketch, oh, just painful. Literally so painful to watch. That Zoom sketch was so long. So bad. And here's my thing. When I, when I, when I made the TikTok... Reference, I wasn't just being flippant either. I'm enjoying watching TikTok, and I find the creativity that kids are using on TikTok, like in their homes, is so entertaining and creative. And mm-hmm. it reminds me of Vine, and like it's, it's even better than that early YouTube boom. Um, there's still a lot of white people doing TikToks to black voices and memes, but um, <laughs> they're not the creativity that I'm talking about on TikTok. And it just highlighted the fact that they are working with the parameters that they have to create content. And when SNL sort of had to work within those parameters, I don't think that they were just delivering home-created content as great as people who deliver home-created content every day, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, I think the pandemic has sort of proved, like, who can excel in an environment like that and who cannot. Uh, For instance, I'm not really enjoying that many late-night talk shows right now, Um, but Wendy Williams in the pandemic is hilarious and absurd Mm -hmm. like she's like eating her breakfast every morning while talking about hot topics and there's a (laughs) black betty boop statue next to her it's truly one of the wildest surrealist moments of this pandemic and i hope that she continues some of that when we're back i will say if you're watching a lot of tiktok content the quaintness of what SNL did probably would fall on deaf ears. I mean, true. I mean, like, still, SNL is, I think, mainly for people who are in their 40s or whatever. And you're right. Mm-hmm. The show definitely has meant historically more to me. I mean, it taught, it gave me Jane Curtin and Jan Hooks and other people who use yeah. the hardness of their bangs to express comedy. <laughs> and uh, that remains who I am, though I am bangless. Yes. Um, one day I will look into the um, face of an actress and see a reflection of myself like you do, Lewis. (laughs) (laughs) God willing. All right. When we're back, Tim Gunn. The coronavirus pandemic will make voting in person unsafe for months, if not years. And if we want to make sure Election Day is safe and accessible for every voter in every state, we need to do something now. That's why we're asking you to call Congress this week. Congress is back in session and will vote on a fourth coronavirus relief package. We want them to include at least $2 billion in safe election money to ensure that no one should have to choose between their right to vote and their health and safety. This will be used to require states to invest in vote by mail and early voting and make in-person polling locations safer for everyone. We get that calling anyone, let alone Congress, can be daunting, so we launched a new call tool on Vote Save America that will help connect you directly with your reps and give you a script to help you out with what you need to say. Check it out at votesaveamerica.com slash call. And please, if this is important to you, make those calls. The future of our democracy could depend on it. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? 
when you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my barefoot dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because, by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's, like, pretty mild outside, and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain Mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Thank you so much for joining us today, Tim. I think we are all fans of yours, and we're also really enjoying making the cut. Well, Ira, thank you, and thank you for having me. I'm I'm thrilled to be in your company, all of you. Oh wow, I feel so flattered. Yeah. This is my this is my. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> will you um Will you tell us a bit how this show came to be? Like how you and Heidi decided to get the gang back together. Well, it's a joyous story, actually. When Project Runway, after 16 seasons, left the Lifetime Network, where we had been for 11 seasons, Heidi and I looked at each other across coasts and said, this is an opportunity. We've been wanting to do something that we believe is even more relevant to the fashion industry. And there have been many changes we wanted to make to Project Runway that the executives wouldn't let us make because... They kept saying, why tamper with a success? Mm. So Heidi and I caucused, we put our heads together, and we went through all the ideas we'd had for the last number of years and said, let's pitch it. Let's see if any if there are any takers. We thought we have nothing to lose. So to be perfectly honest and transparent, we went to Netflix because Heidi has a lot of contacts there. We had two fantastic meetings. Then our agents, who are across the hall from each other at CAA, received a call from Amazon asking whether Heidi and I would be interested in meeting with them. Well, of course, I flew out to LA and we met with Jennifer Salkey and her team. And after the meeting, Heidi and I went out of the parking lot and said, that was the most fabulous meeting imaginable. Let's hope that Amazon wants us. Um, and we know what happened. <laughs> so, well, I'll tell you a more relevant show we wanted a show that really pertains to the fashion industry as it exists now. And we started Project Runway in 2004. Mm-hmm. The fashion industry was a completely different place at that time. It was a different landscape. So we, we wanted to have a show that's global, uh, have global representation on the show, have it travel, and have it really focus on branding. 
uh, certainly fashion needs to be about a beautiful seductive item, but without a brand catalyst, that item has no place to go. So in searching for designers to bring onto the show, we were looking at people who could talk the branding language and who have experience with branding. So it's been, I mean, just have to say, the Amazon relationship has been really phenomenal. I'm not used to being so spoiled by the host, so to speak. They've been incredible collaborators, true partners in the creation of the show. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a funny anecdote. Heidi and I initially had the thought that this we would have each episode in a different location, <laughs> not realizing how incredibly ambitious and expensive that is. <laughs> Amazon came back to us and they said, you know, we really want a fashion show that travels as opposed to a travel show about fashion. And that was very well put. Um, we, had a, we had a blast. But of course, the world was a very different place when, when we did this last summer. And we're at a different juncture now. I think one thing that fascinates me about this show is the difference between what I think your obligation as a mentor is. Because when I think of Project Runway throughout most of the seasons, the contestants to me feel basically like fashion students, like somebody you would have normally just interacted with at Parsons. But on this show, you're talking to people who are basically trying to launch an international brand, go far beyond the average scope of a Project Runway contestant. How is your role different, do you feel? The nurturing aspect of me is the same. I'm taught in a classroom for 29 years, so I've acquired certain characteristics in terms of how I interact with people that are just the way they are, that the dialogue was very different. On Project Runway, how much time did we spend talking about a janky hem? <laughs> and on making the cut, it's really about how do these designs that you're creating for this particular assignment, how do these fit into the larger vision that you have of your for your brand? And it was a much more in-depth conversation, much more substantial and Quite frankly, I think we all learn so much more about these designers as individuals because of the depth of the dialogue. When I watched the first season, the coolest part for me, I think, was um, watching the episode, seeing that everyone was already an established fashion designer, and then looking in my closet and going, oh, I have Juwan's Adidas tracksuit that she did. And I, <laughs> and then remembering that Beyonce took a photo in a bodysuit that was made by her as well. And I was like, oh, this is... We're in a different ballpark here. We are. Truly, truly. Working with these people, did you get any kickback from people who maybe felt pride about what they've already established and who they've done? Or was everyone very, very happy to be there and ready to learn? Well, <laughs> most were happy to be there. <laughs> uh, we had one who wasn't so keen to be there. They were really like sponges. They were wonderful. I felt that I had more of a peer relationship with them in terms of how we interacted. And repeatedly, this was so gratifying, repeatedly... Heidi and I would hear from the designers that what we've engaged them in and these various assignments has really broadened their scope of what they can achieve and has served as a whole new point of departure for when they return to their studio and regain their work. Mm -hmm. So it, it was wonderful to hear that as opposed to, oh, why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. um, and we weren't doing anything that was arbitrary. We were doing things that helped us understand as well as we can what they're they're capable of as brand designers and brand managers. Mm -hmm. If anything, I can say that, and and maybe it's slightly different because you know in two thousand four, um, I was just finishing um, high school. But now, 
looking at a show like this, it's it's nice to see designers and having lived in New York myself at this point now, um, seeing an awareness of fashion that I guess I didn't have back then. And it's nice to see designers who have brands because I feel like one of the unfortunate downsides of Project Runway was with people starting out, you sort of had to maybe wait a bit to hear from them mm -hmm. again. You know? Like, I like Johnny's stuff a lot, and I live in Los Angeles. When this pandemic is over, I could go and visit his store, you know, and find him. And it, it's so nice to see designers who you can just be introduced to. And I wanted to ask you about my favorite judge, uh, Naomi Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> How has she not been doing this her whole life? It's so shocking. I know. Like she is taken sort of My like the internet by storm. Everyone tuning in to see her critiques, and it's like it reminds me of actually. Um, I saw the face that um, right short-lived show that she had done before, and so I had seen her judging there. But on this, there seems to be you know just love that she has for these designers, and it's you know just sort of I want to know what it's like working with her, I guess, because particularly the second episode where the designers are creating couture, of course she um, is mad at Martha, but, you know, like there's also so much in what she says that just shows how much she cares about fashion and fostering designers. Well, Naomi has an incredible passion. She loves this industry and she has huge respect for the industry. And when someone tampers with those boundaries for her, she gets irate. And frankly, in many ways, she's able to act out how I'm feeling. So it was rather purging and cathartic. Um, go, Naomi, you tell them. <laughs> um, she has an exacting eye and a very high taste level, and she's very demanding. And I, I loved it when she would be critical and, and when she would be supportive. Yeah, of course. And of course, the designers were in awe in her presence. Well, they were in all of all the judges, mm -hmm. but when you have an individual with, with such experience in the industry and she's worn every designer you can imagine. Mm -hmm. So she knows what, not only what the clothes look like, she knows what they feel like and she can project herself into a design that's on a mannequin. She knows. Mm -hmm. It was just a phenomenal experience to have her there, and she brought a great deal of enhancement to what the show was able to achieve. I think something that always interests me about you is, to me, there is no second Tim Gunn, which is to say, we have nobody else in television, for example, who is a decades-long academic who does not seem particularly interested in fame, but whose skill set works in the context of reality TV so well. But now you've been doing it for 16 years. Do you feel like a television veteran at this point? <laughs> Lewis, I don't at all. In fact, for me, the whole experience is surreal. And I'll be honest with you, I don't even like looking at myself. So I do watch the episodes because I need to know how they're sliced and diced because we have so many hours of footage so I, I do, but I cringe when I see myself. And I have to say, too, even holding this Emmy. <laughs> Surreal for me. An Emmy on just, Zoom. Uh, for, yeah, for everyone listening, Tim Gunn just pulled his Emmy out on Zoom. <laughs> but yes, it's right here, so I can see it every day. <laughs> And it was surreal. I mean, I still look at it and I think, who's this that? <laughs> yeah, you're like Cloris Leachman now. Jesus, uh, just with your Emmys. 
Yeah. <laughs> I love her. Oh, the best. Do you have like a passion for for food or something as much as you do fashion? I love the ritual of cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very soothing. I find it relaxes me. And of course, having a glass of, of wine and a cocktail while doing, and or a cocktail, I should say, <laughs> helps too. But I actually don't like going out. Mm-hmm. I eat at home. I would say I go out maybe three or four times a year. Mm. And it's usually a celebration of someone's birthday or, or something festive. It's not just to go out. And I'll, I'll add, too, I don't, don't want to sound like a penny pincher, but <laughs> it's expensive going out. Yeah. And I just think, why? I'd rather save money and give it to a charity. Take that. Um, wow. We, we've all been read to yeah. filth. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let me cancel my Postmates delivery right now. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> I, I want to assure all, all of you, I am not judgmental. I just, all that I say is people need to accept responsibility for their decision. True. But- I never weigh in, including on what people wear. I mean, it's mm-hmm. your decision to make. But I, what I don't like hearing is, oh, I don't care how I'm dressed or it doesn't matter and I get dressed in the dark. Who cares? Well, it's the semiotics of clothes. The clothes we wear send a message about how we're perceived. And I was afraid we might be on video. I'd heard that the output will be audio. But I thought, I need to dress up for the three of you. <laughs> I put on a nice jacket for you, Tim. <laughs> well, you, all, all three of you look wonderful. Well, thank you. And I, I love your turtleneck. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, I was going to ask you because I watched the first episode of Making the Cut with my jaw entirely on the floor Aww. because of the, the judges that you had, the stakes. There's a million-dollar prize, for those of you listening, a million-dollar prize, and every episode when there's a challenge, the creator's designs get put on an Amazon shop. And I was going to ask you about, um, I don't know if you know logistically how, how that's been going, but are people buying the designs? Are things going well? The designs are selling out in 24 hours. Wow. It's yeah. unbelievable. Wow. It's, and they're, they're yeah. produced in um, sizes ranging from extra, extra small to extra, extra large, and Amazon Fashion has all the metrics worldwide about what sizes people are and, and what they purchase mm-hmm. because this show is seen in 200 countries and territories, which is mind-blowing too. Mm-hmm. But the, the clothes are selling out. I thought, well, it'll take weeks, if not months, um, to exhaust the supply, but it's like that. It's just unbelievable. That's wild. Yeah. yeah. And I will add too, the shopping aspect of the show was never in the original premise. Mm-hmm. It evolved as our conversations with Amazon evolved, and, and Amazon suggested it. They said, you know, what if we partner with Amazon Fashion? And it was one of those aha moments. We can't do this with, with Amazon. Who can we do this with? Mm-hmm. And for the winning designer, how phenomenal is this opportunity? As, as you said, a million dollars, a mentorship with Amazon Fashion, and your lines on Amazon. If you can't make it work as i say <laughs> with these conditions you can't make it work yeah speaking of um making it work on the show i think everyone would just love to know who are these seamstresses what yes uh, they see yes, they seem gods. like they seem like the gods yes because like Every morning, it's it's the gods' whims of whether or not um, your outfit is done, or is that just sort of what we're seeing on TV? Because to me, it seems a bit like maybe the seamstress won't understand what the designer wants them to get, or is that really just the fault of how the designer is explaining themselves to the seamstress? Well, the designer has to be very explicit in the instructions, because in fact... There's an episode in Tokyo 
um, our last episode in Tokyo when we actually meet the seamstresses. In, in oh, thank Japan. God. That was going to be my oh. pitch. It's after making the cut, yes. meeting the seamstresses. Yeah. yeah. I was like, do we need a making the runway kind of show <laughs> about the seamstresses? It'd be fun. I mean, in fact, in Paris and in most of Tokyo, the, the designers never meet the seamstresses. Mm -hmm. There's no opportunity to interact on purpose. I mean, we initially thought, will these be characters on the show? It's way too many people to wrap your brain around. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But the seamstresses can only sew. They can't cut. They can't make patterns. Mm -hmm. They can only sew. So the designers have to be very, very explicit in, in their instructions. There was a learning curve. The first two um, episodes they learned how to communicate properly because they weren't. And, and the work that was being returned to them was disappointing to them. And they learned. When I think about uh, Project Runway, something that I think is interesting about the show is you were always kind of guessing who would be the most important designer in years to come or which designs were the most progressive. Looking back, which looks still stand out in your mind as crucial not just to the integrity of the show and to people holding the show in such high esteem, but really have stood the test of time. Like you still think of them as, you know, works of art, so to speak. I mean, in some ways this is a foregone conclusion because it's so evident that Christian Siriano, yeah. I mean, that, that mm -hmm. work was, was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And I have to say during, when we had the auditions and, and I participated in, in the auditions for most of Runway and, and certainly for making the cut, but when we had the auditions, I asked the producers before Christian came into the room, why are we seeing this kid? He's just out of school. We've grown beyond this. And they said, well, just see him. Maybe he'll be in here for less than a minute. And he was in for far more than a minute. <laughs> and after he left the room, I turned to my, my fellow judges and said, I have never met a fashion prodigy until today. Wow. Mm -hmm. He's a prodigy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've I've had a lot of those same Christian emotions, you know, watching um, Sander on the show. Uh, um, yeah. they, yeah. they 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 even have the same sort of young sort of attitude a about themselves. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah but um, you know, seeing him grow as a designer uh, has been very fun, you know, and I it's it's just been very enjoyable watching him as a young designer too. I agree. And keep your eye on Sander. Oh, I will. I, I feel like I want many things from um, his collection. Like, I just, they're, they're gorgeous. He also, by the way, is so funny, which makes me so mad because yes. that's not your job. Like, we're supposed yeah. to be funny. <laughs> Can you just, just be good at what you do? No. Can you draw Xander? No, he's, he is um, easily, and even in the first episode, my favorite. My, I'm going to just My say favorite, it. too. My favorite. Yeah. My absolute favorite. Yeah. Going back to when Project Runway was also sort of blowing up. Um, I sort of want to dip into that period of your career where, you know, like you were becoming this fashion just sort of staple in a very interesting way, you know, not just through Project Runway. You know, I remember seeing you appear in like Ugly Betty or mm -hmm. like Gossip Girl, Sex in the City. What was that sort of period like where people were just sort of maybe recognizing you for your Project Runway work and, you know, like not really knowing that much about your academic, you know, sort of history and your background in fashion. Well, I'll use the word again. It was surreal and it still is. And I was never intended to be on camera on Project Runway. I was uh, retained as a consultant uh, because the producers knew nothing about the industry. <laughs> and 
I didn't even want to meet with the producers initially when they called to say that they were looking for a consultant. I said, fashion reality, this industry has enough trouble without that. Um, <laughs> but then I learned that they were the Project Greenlight producers. So I thought, well, they have integrity. They have a seriousness of purpose. This could be interesting. I still am in awe when somebody recognizes me. I think, really? You, you actually saw the show and, and I'm with you on the street and you know who I am. When this happens to you after you turn 50, it's so appreciated and you feel so lucky and fortunate and you know who you are, you're well-grounded and you, you have your own priorities and values. So for me, the whole thing has just been like a party. I mean, it's just, it's just been, been a phenomenon and I'm eternally grateful. And whenever anyone asks me, well, what have you not done that you'd like to do? There is nothing, I mean, other than world peace and curing, <laughs> curing COVID-19, but it would be hubris. It would be throwing hubris in the face of an angry God to actually wish for something when I'm so lucky with what I have, um, for what I have. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's really is phenomenal. So I'm, I'm extremely grateful, and I say that every day. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, no, I think you just said earlier that you spend most of your time inside, but I think of you as such a almost compulsively relatable person to people who might see you on the street. And I hope the mix of those people wanting to grasp you by the shoulders and say, talk to me about fashion and your, mm-hmm. I guess, introvertedness. I hope that, that there isn't too violent a clash there. <laughs> well, well the nice thing is you know that these, these moments of meeting are going to be brief. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have to tell you though, recently I had a, a neighbor, I was, on the sidewalk, I was going to get groceries and a neighbor stopped me from six feet away. And he said, can, can I ask you a question? And I said, well, sure. He said, my granddaughter has, has a bat mitzvah coming up and I want to know what I should wear. And I said, what should you wear? You wear a suit. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to wear a suit. I said, well, if you're not wearing a suit to your granddaughter's bat mitzvah, when would you wear a suit? And he said, well, I just wouldn't. And I said, well, I have no advice for you then. <laughs> I mean, really? What? Hot pants and a tank top? I mean, well, actually, maybe I should have said that. <laughs> and then send me a photo. <laughs> uh, Tim, I really want to uh, thank you for being here. I mean, I think the, the three of us have, uh, you know, we sort of grew up on Project Runway, and it's mm. so exciting to see making the cut sort of taking that style and bringing it back like it's it's so entertaining it's just nice in the midst of this to watch you and Heidi again and um honestly I'm I I get a little angry each week like the first few episodes um you all hanging out in Paris I was <laughs> in Paris around New Year's and I I've never felt more despondent <laughs> in my heart of not being able to just go somewhere. Um, but it's nice seeing you two uh, having fun there. Well, thank you. And it, it, it really is a, a feel-good experience watching Making the Cut. And it's a nice tonic in these days and times. It's a nice escape. Um, and we all need one. And eventually we'll all be able to travel again. So I hope people will follow our Making the Path Cut mm-hmm. from New York to Paris to Tokyo. <laughs> Thank you all so much, though. Thank you so much. A lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Thank you, Tim. Thank you.
Vacations are always good. Sometimes they're even great. And Celebrity Cruises is about to ruin all of that. Because once you explore with us, you'll never want a vacation any other way. And with new Quick Caribbean Escapes, you'll never want a weekend any other way either. Celebrity Cruises. Nothing comes close. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Ships Registry, Malta and Ecuador. Last week, there was a little dust-up online to keep us going through our <laughs> midweek quarantine malaise. A little drama. <laughs> a little feud, a little tiff, if you will. A R&B head-to-head. <laughs> feud season two. <laughs> In something that surprisingly has nothing to do with the coronavirus, our Wednesday, Variety published an interview with The Weeknd as part of the promotional tour for his new album, After Hours, which slaps... I do love that album. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy it also. And reflecting on the legacy of his first mixtape, House of Balloons, he seemed to think that Usher's 2012 hit Climax sounded a lot like a weekend song. Because it does. And <laughs> the internet quickly jumped in, from everyone from Usher himself to collaborator Diplo uh, having comments. And I am just so thankful that... <laughs> This nonsense happened last week because it was nice to think about something else. I just wanted to say that, Ira, I know that you said this had nothing to do with coronavirus, but since everything tangentially has to do with coronavirus, you know these men are just fighting to fight. This is not a conversation that ever needed to be had. This didn't even need to be put in the Variety article that it was put in. But we're just also thirsty for the content right now. This would have, I think, gone under the radar. In any other time. I think it would have had an impact um, regardless. Well, I'll say this. I feel like what's missing from social interactions right now, uh, on Zoom that is, is spiciness. Mm -hmm. Because all of our interactions right now are so conciliatory and we're so calming each other all the time. Mm -hmm. So to hear someone say something even remotely kind of shady about another human being feels like, to quote Tim Gunn, a tonic. Yes. Why don't we get this out of the way and see whose side everyone is on? Well, it's not truly that binary, but I'm on the weekend side. I am. Girl, why? Boy, what do you mean? Okay. First of all, Climax sounds nothing like a weekend song, period. First of all, it sounds exactly like a weekend song. And here's why. One, it's the production, which, you know, was mentioned, and we can talk about what Diplo said. But here's, here's a little thing. The Weeknd and Usher were both in this very unique position last year where they both played roles in movies where they had to play themselves but like five years prior or ten years prior, Usher with Hustlers and The Weeknd with Uncut Gems. So I had recently went back and checked into their discography and before any of this even happened, I was like, well, there was a time in around 2010 when Usher decided that he was going to just be a very like dark R&B artist which he had never touched before prior to that he was doing DJ God is falling in love again and all of these kind of club R&B hits so what is the only thing that changed during that time the dream was making more ambient music and then the weekend came and he changed the entire R&B soundscape I'm just saying, Abel's influence is strong. Wow, Aida did the dramaturgy research. Wow, okay, we're all in this. I'm a big a big <laughs> weekend fan. I will, I will go to bat for that man, Ira. Don't fight me. Listen, I love The Weeknd. Um, even with his sex without love anthems, even with his um, 
creepy need to hand out um, condoms with good girls <laughs> plastered across it at his concerts um, like a demon. <laughs> um, I have enjoyed uh, weekend shows. I mean, I enjoyed his Coachella set for one. Um, and I've seen him another time. But for me, I feel like that chilly R&B vibe is something that was just sort of ushered in not just by him, but I also don't find Usher's music that chilly R&B. I think it was going more in the terms of electronic music, EDM mm. sort of popping off. I think you're right. I think you're right, except for, with the exception of Climax. I remember when Climax came out, I remember, th I was thinking, this is strange. This doesn't sound anything like Usher's ever done. I like it so, so much. It's not his vocals. I will give you, Usher is a better singer. He's a better creator. Of course, he's a better dancer. He's looks better shirtless. There's so much that works for him as an R&B artist that doesn't work for The weekend in a traditional sense. But that's exactly what it is. Is I was This is a weekend song. This is not, it didn't feel like Usher. I do have to say, what I liked about The weekend, what he said in that article, is just the pettiness of it. The, and I couldn't help but be angry kind of feeling. Like, when an artist is defensive, I just believe instinctively that they are really good artists. You know what I mean? Like, why would you be so protective otherwise? Um, and then Usher doing that sung response where he did his, I don't know anything about singing, but his, like, I'll say Boring. 11 octave response or whatever he did. <laughs> it did feel a little first thought. Yes. And it doesn't properly counter what he had said. I think the thing where he was like, oh, Climax Challenge was the most 41-year-old thing I've ever seen someone do. Like, respond. Respond. He had his tweet, which I know Ira loved, I'm sure. Talk about that, Ira. You saw his tweet. <laughs> The, what about like the the full moon never like barking back at a dog? What does that mean? <laughs> it was very Langston Hughes of him. <laughs> it means that before the weekend was coming up with a way to reference cocaine in every song of his, um, there was Usher and the face. Okay, Usher. Maybe he didn't sound like Usher on climax but i think that's also because he just started working with diplo on that album if you know usher's career he has worked with different producers who give him sort of a different sound he sort of reinvents himself in a way with each album the way that a pop artist would you know his first album was produced by diddy it had that sort of like 94 sound and then his next album my way the one that really skyrocketed him to fame was a babyface production okay that was the face and la reed and then 8701 that is the neptunes giving you all of like the fire shit that you could ever want from him and then you have jermaine dupri brian michael cox working on confessions and let me tell you something i've seen the weekend live and i've seen usher live and the confessions tour where kanye and john legend opened for usher cannot be matched Listen here, Miss Wikipedia. I want to ask you a question. Miss <laughs> Wikipedia. All of that. I have the con <laughs> I have the concert stubs to to match. Okay. I want to know this. Two thousand four. Can... That was me spending my um student loan money <laughs> at Loyola Chicago to go and see Usher. Usher. Okay, Ira, explain to me how you can listen to Usher's first album, but you can't listen to Justin Bieber's first album. Both of them are just as whiny, just as R and B, just as. Why do you have a record deal? I did not say that I listened to 
Usher's self-titled the most. I was just giving you the history of it. I don't listen to that. I start with my way. <laughs> I am an 8701 person myself. You make me want to be the one I'm with. <laughs> I do have to say, between the two of them... I obviously like The Weeknd, but I think if I had to pick a favorite song between the two of them, You Don't Have to Call would still be my number one. So You don't mm. have to call. After the night, don't leave your girl around me, true player for real. That's my nigga Pharrell. <laughs> that is an iconic line in music. Okay, Aida. well, so is um, so is The Weeknd's Got the Walls Kicking Like She's Six Months Pregnant. That's a great lyric. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Oh, no one. <laughs> the silence I received. Who else can forget? Oh, I'm not a bitch. I'm what a bitch needs. <laughs> and fed means got my stomach feeling sickly. <laughs> also, the weekend's an Oscar nominee. So, you know, like religiously, I have to also think of that. Oh, thank you. By, Lu- by default, I have Lewis. The Lewis default. <laughs> I win. I win. Okay. Well, sp- speaking of music, um, <laughs> and to give us something to fight about, there was a... He, New meme that took over Twitter this week that was slightly more um, economical with sharing the wealth um, as opposed to the meme that Lewis got mad about last week, that movie meme, Mm -hmm. Um, because Mm -hmm. this one invited people to pick their four favorite albums with no skips. And this is hard because the parameters of this say no skips. And as we were saying before, there are a lot of albums that I think are fucking excellent. Do I skip one or two songs on them? Yes. Lemonade? Don't nobody listen to Sandcastle. I feel the same way. Who is Don't Nobody? That's my name. (laughs) Call me Don't Nobody. I don't even like Daddy Lessons. I don't like Daddy Lessons. You know, Daddy Lessons has worn off on me a little bit. But um, yeah, I can think that album is fucking amazing. I mean, there are... Prince albums, you know? Um, True. Whitney albums, the, like iconic albums from artists that I love. But there may be like one song in there that I'm just sort of like, eh. When we were putting these together, I literally almost picked Prince a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Like I thought, oh, 1999, like seminal. Couldn't get through free. You know what I mean? There's just one track every time. You know, Purple Rain, like I can't stand Computer Blue and I famously don't like the song Purple Rain either, but we've already mined <laughs> that territory. So... I'm going to start with you, Aida, oh. the weekend fan. Um, what are your albums with no skips? Let me guess. House of Balloons. Stop it. First Star of all, mix, I won't count a mixtape. And the weekend, <laughs> the weekend, I like. I will defend him, but I no, he's not in my list of audio bibles. That would be <laughs> Miseducation of Lauren Hill by Lauren Hill. Mm. Easy. That should be hands down a, a choice for everyone. Um, a more modern one, Blonde, Frank Ocean. Oh, love that. Love that album. Stankonia, Outcast, and then oh, the heart the last one's hard to pick because I have so many, but I will t- I, Amy Winehouse Back to Black. No, I have a question for you. Easily. Um, do you want to hear some gangsta shit because I fucking love that song. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> love that song. Yes. Yes, yes. Also, yes, you yes. bring up Miseducation of Lauren Hill. This is an appreciation of music that I feel like kids today don't get but like Miseducation of Lauren Hill was my third CD and therefore for a while it was maybe the only music I listened to for seven or eight months straight yes. so that album now to mm-hmm. me feels like biblical or something it's just I know every verse of it mm-hmm. etc yeah. what's interesting about the Miseducation of Lauren Hill though is my friend Joel Kim Booster, our friend Joel Kim Booster, brought this up recently. There is a conservative streak that runs through it there's like a life begins at conception vibe going on sometimes mm-hmm. oh yes Yes. 
I mean, doo-wop that thing is a slut shame anthem. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> How you gonna win when you ain't right within? You just about hair done. Yeah. He's like hair done by Koreans. Yeah, literally throws the word Jezebel <laughs> out in that song. Uh, I will always remember the miseducation of Lauren Hill because we had a maybe a sixth grade class where you could always bring in a CD one day of the week and play it. And, you know, it always had to be appropriate for school. And, like, for a while we had a streak of white kids bringing in, like, Marilyn Manson and whatever. And I was not into that shit at that point as a black kid (laughs) Um, in, like, 1998. But I brought in the Miss of Lauryn Hill. And I remember... You know, we got to X Factor, do up that thing. Like, people were really vibing. And then when the album gets into, you know, sort of the, like, slower R&B stuff, I remember this bitch, Camille, (laughs) said to me, yeah, maybe this wasn't the right album to bring in. It's not really that hype. Well, remember when in, like, When We're Children and the only standard for good music was hype? Fuck you, Camille. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hype and hyphy like it was just yeah. does it make my heart want to beat out of its chest but you know miss yeah. do up that thing fuck camille for also for also implying that i was gay because i liked Aaliyah. well you were gay because you liked Aaliyah. i was gay <laughs> but in the moment it was very rude and i remember this this ally um steven um this this sweet um blue-eyed wigga um <laughs> who um said to her, I think he likes Aaliyah because she's hot. Ooh. And shut her up. There you go. So, yeah. So, yeah so, Fuck Camille, and I love you, Steven. That's that's it. That's the miseducation of Lauren Hill. The woman invented rapping. She invented singing, breathing, the color orange. I don't like... That whole album is amazing. And Gina Rodriguez's favorite <laughs> artist. Oh, you know what's God. also interesting about that album is, I mean, it's one of the few times I can think of just... Look, I'm from, like, white middle America. Like... One of the only times you definitely had to own an album by a black woman. Just everybody had that. And mm-hmm. I want to say it became a phenomenon because of the video, because it was such an addictive feel, yeah. the throwback mm. and then the, the you know, the do up that thing video, which is so great. And by the way, the everything is everything video is an all timer always. Yes. Yeah, her running on that record. Like brilliant idea. Gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous, gorgeous video. Uh, I agree with that album. I agree with Back to Black. I am 90% there on Stankonia. Okay. Only because for me in a no skips challenge, girl, I really am glad that the 90s and early 2000s trends Don't say skits. Interludes, if Don't. interludes and skits on albums went away, no. they're so annoying. No, not. Kim and Cookie is still to this day, I will quote that. Are you serious? It's such a good skit. I do I do like I do like prenup. Com- yes. It's comedically aware and it's just it I think it really entertains the song. Okay. If we're going to talk about intros and skits, I can't There's wait. There's a really annoying interlude on a TLC album where like, I think like Left Eye or someone calls someone is to ask for like some tissue paper so she could wipe her ass. <laughs> Do you remember this interlude? <laughs> so oh, this is eerily familiar. No, that's so funny. Well, you're also you're denigrating the art form that I believe Janet Jackson set into motion. I mean, Whoa. like the amount of the amount of tracks on a Janet a album. Janet, that are like, a Janet interlude is well, it's a like it'll be like class. interlude, uh, uh, interlude, sex, twenty one seconds. Like that's always my favorite cut on an album. Yeah, yes. 
Yeah, well, those those aren't like um, a sketch, mm-hmm. you know? It is just like a, a soundscape or like a sonic, okay, we're going to the bedroom now. I wanted to ask you guys about Blonde because I think I can speak for people in, at least that I went to college with and people around my age, we're obsessed with Frank Ocean. He's, I think, the artist of our generation. Our decade is more what I should say. Did you guys like Blonde? Girl, Blonde puts me to See? sleep. See, I knew it. I knew this. I am not a Franklin stan. And I think, unfortunately, it is because I saw him live (laughs) at a small concert at the El Rey in L.A., like, I think, after his first album. And that nigga put me to sleep. Well, because he has, like, I call them scoliosis bops. (laughs) 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 Because every song he delivers, like, he's Quasimodo, and he doesn't, like, look up ever. But for me, it it came out at that time, that dangerous time, where I was like, everything is emotional and transformative. So it just hit me at the right time. Uh, And to this day, I can go back to tracks like Solo and Self Control, and they are just a lot of techno sounds and him kind of, you know, using a vocoder over these sounds. But they're so beautiful to me. I think they piercing i like the opening of that album but i prefer channel orange i would say it's impressive music that isn't super stimulating to me like and i feel like that's how most people feel about bjork and i'm the opposite so i feel like everybody has that kind of Mm -hmm. you know person who has that super technical prowess that really connects with them whereas everybody else is left to sort of admire it anyway lewis (laughs) i I tried to pick albums that weren't i haven't talked about a million times on keep it so i didn't pick liz fair or Mm. amy mann or joni mitchell but um, I did pick Madonna, who comes up a lot. And I went with what is almost certainly hailed as maybe her most dated album. But because it's nine tracks, I think True Blue is without skips. Because that, to me, is the album where Madonna becomes a superstar, right? It's when she had Like a Virgin before, and then she had this album where every single is a statement. You had Papa Don't Preach, which was you know a super feminist moment. Open Your Heart, which was you know that, that raw urgency and vulnerability we associate with Madonna, La Isla Bonita, where she, you know, was almost Mexican, which... Where she's a full Latino woman. (laughs) (laughs) The Ava Gardner (laughs) of the 80s. The other barefoot Contessa, Uh, Madonna, yes. yes. Um, Where's the party? That is a bop. I love Where's the Party. Yes. I love Where's the Party. Live to tell. The, the intro to that, the instrumentation alone, I could listen to that for the rest of my life. Oh, my It's God. such a beautiful song. Oh. One of the great Madonna songs. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. And by the way, how much of an old school, like, pardon my French, movie fag is Madonna? Like, obsessed with Jimmy Cagney, who comes yeah. up in the album. Yeah. and white, you know. I mean, that's why I love Breathless so much. Right. I'm Breathless. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I love Jimmy Jimmy. Um. Sometimes I want to listen to Love Makes the World Go Round, but I don't know. Uh, For me, I would pick definitely Bedtime Stories or um, Like a Virgin as Madonna's No Skip album. Oh, my God. Like a Virgin has, like, Stay on it, though. There's trash on that album. I love Stay. Something's wrong with you. (laughs) Hey, he's not going to change his mind. Lewis is keeping his Yeah. Uh, What are your other albums? uh, Mariah Carey's MTV Unplugged, because first of all, it's seven tracks. Second of all... Why not not The Emancipation of Mimi? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Talk about an album with some skips. But to me, the best live albums capture a moment in history. And so, you know, when an artist is exploding, particularly for Mariah, when she gave that concert when no one really knew if she could sing live yet. So when you're hearing people experience Vision of Love live or someday live and they can't believe it's even better than what they expected it's super electric i think uh the version of make it happen on that in particular i love my other albums are uh i picked 
uh, Fleetwood Mac rumors because I'm secretly, you know, 73 years old. What's interesting is the songs I like least on that album are the most famous songs, which are Don't Stop and Go Your Own Way I Don't Love. But You Make Loving Fun, I think, is one of the greatest songs of all time. Well, I think that sort of lends itself to the thing we talked about with Blondie once on this show. You know, the ubiquitous songs of Fleetwood Mac Mm -hmm. are annoying at this point because they've become songs in commercials they become songs you hear in the grocery yeah. store all the grocery time, store you know? is like, a genre i don't need yeah. to hear i don't need to hear dreams right anymore uh but rumors has something like like the chain right it goes off also I, the, the best part about that album for me is the lore behind it the story and i mean i of course wasn't alive during that time but i wish i could have seen that soap opera of a situation play out on social media like that would have been a very very interesting time to be alive and let me tell you both Stevie Nicks in particular gives such good interviews that I think you would have seen it played out in real time. She would have been talking about it all the time. Oh, yeah. yeah we got to get Stevie on here to literally just ask her about rumors. Yeah, right. <laughs> and also my fourth album, which I think is the most controversial pick, is Sinead O'Connor's uh, I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got, which is, a, like all Sinead O'Connor albums, a woman about to fall apart, a woman who is going through individually most of the traumas in her life, uh, it's the album with nothing compares to you on it, but to me, it's the only song worth listening to oh, oh, on that. Okay, album. okay. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Lewis, that's not an album. It's like if James Joyce could make a musical. Like it's not <laughs> a good album. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> oh god. There is just that. I, I, what I like about there's no other way to put it. It's so Irish. The the depressiveness. The 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 music and instrumentation itself. And the just the kind of like wandering vibe of it. I don't know. To me, it's a very cerebral album, and to me, she's a very powerful artist. Somebody I still really love a lot. And also, just it's so grim. Some of those songs, like Three Babies. Mm-hmm. There's there's no other songwriter like that, as far as I'm concerned. Maybe Tori Amos. Yeah, thank God for that. I respect your decisions. I was listening to this this Irish siren wail, and I was like, girl, where's Michael <laughs> Flatley? <laughs> okay. I, I let's, respect let's, your choices. Let's get some Lord of the Dance up in this bitch. I respect, I respect it, but yeah. What's your picks, Ira? Um, so I feel like, obviously, I talk about Beyonce so much on this, um, so I'm not going to mention one from her. And I think I tweeted about like Britney, but like everyone knows Blackout is perfect. So, and the strokes, I love them too. Um, but I think that my four are one little Kim hardcore. I love that album. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a perfect debut. It's only knock is the fact that the version of crush on you on that album is not the one featuring Kim. Yeah. I was going to say that I went back and listened to it. I was like, this is not, no, apparently she was too pregnant to finish the record and they just put it on there. And now she's on the single version. By the way, that's going to be my new excuse for anything. (laughs) (laughs) I'm too pregnant. I can't come. (laughs) Her lyrics are just so great. There's a particular one about um, a per diem that I love. Yes. Most of y'all niggas can't eat without per diem. (laughs) Per diem. Yes. (laughs) Thank you, Aya. (laughs) 
And I mean, the iconic line on that album, I used to be scared of the dick. Now I throw lips to the shit, handle it like a real bitch. Heather Hunter, Janet Jack me. She's so clever. Like, truly a wordsmith. Licky, licky, fuck you, dicky, dicky. Like who has the, the, the shamelessness to put that on an album? And as a kid hearing like rap music and like Tupac, uh -huh. Biggie, whatever, like my mom listening to that so much, hearing this album, like I found it in her um, bedroom and like with on her like CD rack and like that cover is so alluring. Yeah. You know, like little Kim just looks so sexy and um, turned me on as a young gay kid. I like, I, I don't know if I like want it that or like just want it to be the essence of her, but listening to that, I was like, oh, this is music. Mm -hmm, like, yeah. she's rapping about shit that now I can listen to and, like, relate to. Like, I can relate to a female rapper. Yeah. Because cause she's rapping about dick. Mm -hmm. Lick up on my twat. <laughs> I would call her Ho Porter. That's who she is. <laughs> <laughs> love her, love her. But wait, 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 wait. I just remembered the first track of that album is Kim just getting her back blown out for, like, 40 seconds. Yes. You don't skip yes. that? No. <laughs> It, I, I am I am horny for Kim getting her back blown out, okay? <laughs> Just her moaning. How dare you skip over a woman's pleasure? Fair, you got me. No, you got me. Uh, I also think that um, Jay-Z is probably the GOAT. Um, and I think Black Album is a perfect album. No skips for me. I love that track with his mom on yeah. it. So great. Yeah. Uh, and... I would also, well, I mentioned them and I got to say it. Um, the Strokes, Room on Fire. Okay. I think that is a perfect album. I mean, it reminds me just so much of high school. I don't know if I told this story before, but like we, I was going to a birthday party on the east side of Milwaukee and driving with a um, friend to that party and the album that just came out and we bonded listening to that album and singing all of the lyrics on the way to the party. It is kind of hard to listen to the album now because years later in Gawker, um, he was revealed to be a serial rapist. That's too bad. <laughs> yeah. So it so, sort of taints my memory of that album completely. Mm. Um, when you say that, though, albums in high school where you everybody sang the lyrics in the car, I completely forgot about this until now. Postal Service, Give Up. That's kind of a good choice for this, uh, this uh, challenge. Such great heights. Mm -hmm. I was not a moody boy in any way, and that song, that album made me feel like one. Yeah, we need to save the U.S. Postal Service, and we need another <laughs> album for Postal <laughs> Service. <laughs> Text your um, senators. So maybe switching out the strokes because of that dark moment, I would go with Fall Out Boy, Infinity on High. That, mm -hmm. That's my In the Car in High School album. screaming album. Listen, also produced by The Face. Babyface. Fall Out Boy has always been this band that transcends yeah. pop punk. Like they have albums by uh, produced by Pharrell, albums by Babyface. Like it's always yeah. such a jarring thing, and I think that's what makes them. They makes them able to still have a say now in modern culture and modern music. That Fall Out Boy mm -hmm. is one of the, my favorite bands. I mean, Pete Wentz, a black icon. <laughs> Truly, yeah, a whole nigga. Like, how could I forget? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's part black. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, j just like my favorite um, white woman of color, um, Haley Williams. Oh yeah, that's Paramore. another one. Another black show. people fuck with Paramore and Fallout Boy. We just do. Haley's actually uh, coming over. I'm gonna give her braids tomorrow, and I'm okay <laughs> with it. I'm cool with it. <laughs> and my last album before we get out of here is No Doubt Return of Saturn. I am the fan 
I am in the group of fans who think that Return of Saturn is better than Tragic Kingdom. Tragic there's like, Kingdom? There's a no. shift. Like some love no. Tragic Kingdom and some love Return of Saturn more. And I think Return of Saturn is a perfect album. I think Tragic Kingdom is perfect and flawless too, but Return of Saturn just means more to me. Yeah. I'm surprised to hear that because while I love Simple Kind of Life, and I know it's one of the few songs that Gwen wrote single-handedly in particular, I love that song. To me, the best no doubt album is Rocksteady, mm. which by the way, I remember when Hey Baby came out and being like, this is the worst song ever. Music is going to hell. Everyone dragged the fuck out of No right. Doubt when that song came right. out. But yeah. she came back looking like a supermodel after the pink hair phase. And so there was this new wave of No Doubt. But then you listen to the album and it was so uniformly bops. I, I would compare it to Garbage doing Beautiful Garbage, which is my favorite garbage album. Yeah. I love when people like that just attempt straight pop. I mean, Platinum Blonde Life is a fucking amazing song. Mm-hmm. Um, wait, I, Every time we're on Zoom and someone's in the waiting room waiting to come in, I hum in my head, Waiting Room, the song that they did with Prince. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Like, they have a fucking Prince song. I mean, Rocksteady is a perfect album, too. A, a pretty flawless three-album stretch. I would, I would just like to say... Anyone who was around my age who was introduced to Gwen Stefani through Hollaback Girl, I urge you to go back and listen to No Doubt because that was <laughs> my that was my first thing was just B A N A N A S. And I was like, who is this little crusty white woman with this song? Like this <laughs> And No Doubt just I mean, ska is just not a genre that I think is afforded to us anymore. I don't hear it at all in at least in the mm-hmm. mainstream sound waves. So go back, listen mm-hmm. to No Doubt. Tragic Kingdom, I believe, is the better album, but I they're all amazing so i'm just saying they are yeah i mean lewis has me thinking about rock steady now yeah. with like start the fire detective like so many fucking great electronic pop ska rock songs mm-hmm. on that album truly is underrated plus running which is one of their great underrated songs. running is yeah. a beautiful song and trapped in a box yeah. music um, video rock steady was maligned by straight boys in my high school mm-hmm. um just because of hey baby and now Fuck them. You're right. Gay people reclaim it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, When we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It's keep it. Yay. Hey, y'all. Hello. What are we keeping it to this week? Lewis. Oh, shall I begin? Uh, This pertains to an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race from a couple weeks ago. We brought it up last week, the Snatch Game, where the contestants play celebrities and kind of roast them in a game show setting. Um, So the person who was eliminated that week and definitely deserved to be eliminated was this queen, uh, Aiden Zane, who played Rocky Horror Picture Show actress Patricia Quinn. Now, you'll notice that that is not very famous a name, that you're probably not interested in seeing a drag take on it. Aiden Zane did a bad job, but whatever. Lots of people do a bad job at Snatch Game. The actress herself, Patricia Quinn, then responded later talking about how offended she was and quote-unquote disgusted by Aiden Zane's portrayal of her on uh, Drag Race. In Rocky Horror Picture Show, she has kind of like a crazy red, but like crazy Carol Kane hair, and Aiden Zane, that was part of his look. In her response, she said, I have never been interested in drugs. I guess she came off a little drug-addled in the impression. And with regards to my memory, I was recently applauded on stage for my sharp recollections of filming the Rocky Horror Picture Show. 
Ma'am, have you ever heard of drag? It's a little fucking tacky sometimes. And the takes are supposed to be a, a little bit barbed and a little bit irreverent. For her to pretend like this person was whatever, stripping our cultural memory of how brilliant and wonderful a memory she has is so disingenuous and so humorless. There's a famous anecdote where Barbara Walters in the 70s talked about how she was offended by Gilda Radner doing an impression of her on Saturday Night Live because in Gilda Radner's impression, she wouldn't pronounce her R's. Her name was Baba Wawa. And it took Barbara Walters' daughter saying to her, Mom, lighten up for her to get on the right page with history. And of course, now Gilda Radner is a cultural icon. Um, but Patricia Quinn, Jesus Christ, when a drag queen toasts you, that is nothing but a compliment, even if the impression is terrible. Truly. The fact that they chose you. Yeah. What do I think of Patricia Quinn? I don't think of her. I don't. Does anyone think of her? And speaking of tacky drag, she, she was next to Tim Curry, <laughs> dressed as Frankenfurter, in an entire film. Like, it, it's, it, it was, I found, I, I found it humorless, like you did say, Lewis, but I also just found the fact that she, in the midst of coronavirus, hustled herself to her computer and wrote this response so funny to me, because in the response, she's also like, and by the way, I have another movie coming out. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only the only egregious thing that was done was how horribly Aiden Zane portrayed her. That's what she should actually be mad about. I don't think that, you know, I mean, like, yeah. I had to Google who she was. I'd seen her, of course, but didn't know her name. She should, this is press for her. She should be happy. Yeah, the funniest thing for her to do would have been to just res- keep the one part in her response where she says, I've never met Aiden Zane. Right, that's it. <laughs> That would have been funny. That would have been funny. But yeah, you're right. As such, uh, <laughs> by the way, this person is lucky that we revere the Rocky Horror Picture Show because of all the stuff we've added to it in crazy screenings. Guys, the movie is basically unbearable to watch without that. So take it's that. It's awful. Horrible. It's awful. It's awful. Everything after um, the first half of Rocky Horror Picture Show, why am I watching it? Excuse me, the minute Meatloaf appears, I'm walking off my roof. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, okay. Aida, what's your keep it? This week my keep it, um, kind of too layered, but we'll get into it. So, as you guys know, everyone thinks that they are Johnny Carson and can have a show on live. Even I dabbled and was a mistake. So Last night I when just- I logged into your Instagram live and there were 10 people in it, including me. <laughs> Well, I was just screaming profanities and singing. It was a mess. Uh, come watch me. Come watch me. Um, so Diddy went live with his sons because, you know, he's trapped in his probably $50 million mansion and decided to go live on Easter and was playing music and the kids were having fun. Everyone was dancing. It was a great time. Um, a model kind of personality person named Drea came on. She danced for a little bit. And then after that, Lizzo came on. They played a song. I think that Lizzo had requested the song be played. And then Lizzo started twerking. And Diddy immediately, at least what it seemed, what it appeared like, is that Diddy came over and was like, no, turn this off. Turn the music off. This has to be appropriate for Easter Sunday. It seemed like he was saying, like, stop twerking Lizzo. Mm -hmm. And Twitter was ablaze with... Diddy is fat shaming Lizzo and this is super messed up rah 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 this that and the third and then it is if you watch the clip back over it's very clear that Diddy was running over because the song was extremely inappropriate and was talking about fellatio and all this stuff and never at any point was he you know it wasn't clear that he was trying to 
turn Lizzo off because she was twerking. So the internet was mad because they thought it was hypocritical because he'd let other girls dance. Also, I think Drea danced in the evening hours when it was just him and his sons. And Lizzo's was in the middle of the day and his daughters were there, I think. Yeah, yeah. But That, that was the explanation. My keep it isn't to Lizzo dancing or even to Diddy getting mad, but it's to the way that whenever there's anything that happens with Lizzo, we go, Lizzo's being fat shamed. And I know that that's usually like the conversation that should be had and there should be rhetoric around it, all of that. However, when we do that, we are implying and perpetuating this idea that Lizzo can't do anything without being fat shamed. And every story that I see that is about Lizzo is not really about celebrating her anymore. It's about, oh, look how she's being condemned for her body. And it's just this double-edged sword and it's really unfortunate, but I just wish that we talked about Lizzo in more celebratory ways as black people and as people in general, rather than just like white publications loving her and championing her. So it's just frustrating. It's really sad to see. Yeah, you know, it's like they run out of um, her favorite flavor of ice cream at the store and all of a sudden you're being fat phobic to Lizzo. I know. By not giving her her favorite flavor. It is the common social media refrain, unfortunately, to always see, you know, the, to always see the thesis of a um, think piece whenever you think about anything. And I think that I do agree that not everything that happens to Lizzo has to do with fat phobia. And I really wish that we could celebrate her more than we, we need to take her back from the white people. Yeah, we do. We need to reclaim Lizzo. We do. You're ugh, it's frustrating. So frustrating. They have her. I know she's at your house, Liz. <laughs> Give her back. <laughs> Those of us in the white flautist community welcome her. Yes. Are you? Do you play the flute, Louis? No. Wouldn't that be cute if I did, though? Oh, yeah, that'd yeah. be really cute. <laughs> <laughs> you can see it. <laughs> okay. Ira, Ira. Before I get to my keep it, I want to shout out mine from last week where I said fuck you to the Wisconsin GOP fuckery surrounding the election where they were making people still vote in the middle of a pandemic and the Supreme Court overturned the governor's attempts to, you know, delay people being able to vote by mail-in ballot. Um, Let's just say that the voters of Wisconsin were not having it. And they turned up, and Jill Karofsky won her state Supreme Court seat. And Hell yes. they elected David Crowley, um, the first black elected okay. county executive in Milwaukee. Look at y'all. My home city. So it backfired. Sorry. <laughs> I feel bad for um, shaming the state of Wisconsin's pop cultural output. Oh. You guys did give us Mark Ruffalo, and I was blind to that. <laughs> And that '70s show, yeah, Heather Graham. Well, <laughs> great. Well, what Ira and, and Laverne and Shirley? Yeah, that one was forgotten. A spinoff of Happy Days. Shlemiel Shlemazel still bops. Hassan Feather Honey. Incorporated. <laughs> we're gonna do it, and what we're gonna do is my keep it, uh-huh. <laughs> which is to Aubrey Drake Graham. Uh. Now <laughs> we know I do love Aubrey. Okay. Um, I really do, but I am not a fan of his new song, <laughs> "The Tusi Slide." <laughs> it go right foot up, left. You don't like how many t- how he <laughs> says "slide" fifty times in the song. You don't like that. 
I <laughs> what I don't like is this song was clearly manufactured to go to number one based off being a TikTok dance. Mm. Yeah, I don't love that either because it is number one right now. Drake, as we know, is very craven about number ones, and you know, like he he got that tattoo when he beat the Beatles. Oh, that was my first keep it. Yeah. I think on this show, it was. And now with this one, he's tied Mariah Carey's Billboard record. And I just want to say, I don't want to sound old, but I hate when these headlines come out because you had to go out and buy Mariah Carey's singles. Oh, here we go. You could not just (laughs) throw them on TikTok with a little dance. He got so excited from the Don't Stop Challenge where people were flipping the switch in TikTok videos and changing clothes that I think he was like, Oh, why not do that with a new song and then it'll easily get to number one? It is the meaning of being number one on Billboard now is just different than what it used to be, which is fine. But I have to tell you, I feel like I've in particular, my relationship with the Billboard Hot 100 is strained thanks to how long the box was number one. Guys, what went wrong? <laughs> Two weeks at most. You don't like Roddy Rich? <laughs> oh, that's where we're going to have to. But I'm going to talk a lot. <laughs> well, listen. Okay, here's the thing. I agree with you about the TikTok stuff. Mr. Champagne Poppy could probably fart on a track, and unfortunately, these kids would make a TikTok out of it. But you're right. It was the very- I would bop to Tootsie Slide probably if we were- out in the wild, you know? Like, if it came on Friday night at, at the club, oh, like, I would be dancing to it. But I thought you meant, like, home, Lord of the Flies situation if you only had one track that you'd pick Tuesday slide. <laughs> but here's... No, I'd take Man of the Woods. I'm kidding. <laughs> the song is lazy. It's like, it constantly, yeah. Drake is doing this thing where he's like, let me show you how lazy I can be on a track and it'll still get number one. Like, it feels like a demo. It feels like a reference track. The hook is bad. I, I don't like the song, but that then again, I'm going to listen to it after yeah. this podcast. <laughs> like, it's one of those addictive, right. addictive tracks. You know, just releasing these throwaway songs. Like, yeah, they'll get to number one. I bet they will. And then they do. Yeah. That much power so, is a little unnerving. It is. and I, mean, I have to respect it in a way, but it's, it's, it's not a good song. Drake will be here for the next four to five years, though, so strap in. It's not a good song, and I, and I like... Lazy bat Drake songs. Like I'm, I love the album Views. I like all the albums. I'm like I'm a Drake apologist for the most part, unfortunately. Yeah. So I'm with yeah. you, but yeah. Yeah, I I will say that I just like I, I tweeted about it, and I was introduced to the wild world of Drake stands, and I'm like I consider myself a Drake stand, um, <laughs> but. They are wild, you know? I just, like, one innocuous tweet about, like, this was clearly made to get number one with TikTok plays, and people just in my mentions, like, and? And? And you care? And you care because? They'll hard- why are you they- worried about Drake? You guys are, you guys, <laughs> I can't believe there's young boys hard aring me over a man named Aubrey. <laughs> like, what? Yes. And, pe- and people hard aring you over the weekend too, mm. because when people were tweeting about the weekend usher fight, the weekend fans were were lit. <laughs> Good lord! <laughs> Although they were just too sensitive to really be mad at people. When I tweet that I love Helen Ruddy, I don't get that kind of a response. <laughs> it's really surprising. <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, all right, that's our show oh, this week. God. Thanks, guys, for hanging in there with us as we continue to do this nonsense. Yeah, thank you. Yes, thank you all. And thank you to the people of Wisconsin for going out and voting. Putting your lives on the line. Thank you. Yeah. Um, thanks again to Tim Gunn for joining us this week. And we'll see you next time. Bye.
Keep It is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Rustin is our producer. It's Caroline like the princess, the one you don't care about. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadine Melkonian, for filming and editing our video content every week. Vacations are always good. Sometimes they're even great. And Celebrity Cruises is about to ruin all of that. Because once you explore with us, you'll never want a vacation any other way. And with new Quick Caribbean Escapes, you'll never want a weekend any other way either. Celebrity Cruises. Nothing comes close. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Ships Registry, Malta and Ecuador.